Love cooking? Try fresher, better spices shipped quarterly from Raw Spice Bar. They craft small batch spices seasonally, like pumpkin pie spices, garam masala, and many more for easy curries, pumpkin lattes, and more recipes on the blog for all diets. Check them out and buy better spices affordably at Raw Spice Bar, www.rawspicebar.com. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of Champagne and Lobster. I'm your host, Jonna French of Jonna Knows Good Food. And today we're spending a few minutes and we're picking the brain of Nevin Martell. I'll just say the man, the myth, the legend. Wow, that <laughs> is putting a lot on me, but I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, so you could just tell everybody a little bit about yourself. I know a lot about you, but tell the rest of the world. Sure. I'm a DC-based freelance writer and cookbook author, and uh, I write for publications in town like DC Modern Luxury and Washington Post, Washingtonian, and I've written a few cookbooks, including Founding Farmers Cookbook, and I have a forthcoming cookbook next fall uh, for Red Truck Bakery, which is a, has locations in Warrington and Marshall, mm-hmm. Virginia, and it's a very Southern-style classic bakery, so lots of pies and cakes and um, breakfast biscuits and that kind of thing, and so that's kind of like what I do most of the time when I'm not being a dad slash husband. I love it. Now, you're like a rock star of journalism in this area, I feel wow. like. I, I do. I feel like you're like the rock star of this because you like you've written for like every publication. How did you get started? What did like how did you even get in this game? Yeah, I mean, I went to college to be an English major uh, and I've always wanted to write. Uh, but when I got out of school, I'd been the arts and entertainment editor at my paper. And so I started writing as a freelancer about music and pop culture. Um, I had a job working for Atlantic Records doing new media, but like I wanted to write on the side and I eventually got a book deal to do an unauthorized bio on Dave Matthews Band, which I then was like, oh, well, this is obviously the point in my life where I quit my job and go mm-hmm. become a famous writer. And so I quit my job and wrote this bio and it did very well for an unauthorized rock bio. And so then I wrote another one on Beck, um, also oh, wow. for the same publisher, Simon & Schuster. And kind of continued freelancing, mm-hmm. and uh, I had a full-time job working for Get Music slash Rolling Stone Online, doing uh, like on-camera mm-hmm. interviews and stuff like that. Not a lot of writing for them, but I wrote on the side and uh, thought I wanted to go into broadcast journalism. So I went to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, at this point, I'm like 30 or so, and I went back to get a master's in broadcast journalism, mm-hmm. and kind of realized as soon as the program started, after we got out of the radio program and into the television portion of it, that. I was not going to be cut out for broadcast journalism in the way that I thought that I would be. And so I was like, God, how do I save like this massive forty-five, dollars $50,000 investment? Oh and gosh. so, <laughs> I mean, they give you this kind of end of the year to finish out your degree. You have to do an externship. And most kids, mm-hmm. I say kids, because almost everybody in my program came straight out of college to go to you know, get their master's. And I was like one of the older students in the, in the program. And so everybody comes to DC and most people work as like a stringer. They'll like report for a small station in say Minnesota okay. and they'll put like a, a local spin on a national story and that'll be their chance to kind of, they might not ever get their stories on air but they'll get critiqued and stuff. I went and worked for a, a small production company that did like nonfiction and documentary film mm-hmm. and I really loved it. I did a lot of research, mm-hmm. it involves a lot of writing and I got involved in the development process. That's where you find talent for shows mm-hmm. and you create ideas for shows. And so I took a job there and then at another place called Storyhouse. And during that time, 
I'd always loved food. Like, you Uh know, my dad owned a restaurant growing up, which uh, he sold when I was about 10. Wow. And I'd always kind of loved that industry, though I didn't really spend as much time in it Mm -hmm. as I might have. My dad was very clear about kind of keeping family and work separate. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I'd always loved food. When we traveled, we focused on food. And as an adult, I didn't have much money in my 20s, but I always loved eating interesting food and kind of exploring the boundaries of the culinary world. And so I'm at this other production company and like food is starting to become something mm-hmm. I'm spending more time, more time interested in, m- more money on. Like, you yeah. know, I'm starting to have like an actual paycheck. So I'm going out in DC and my wife took me to the inn at Little Washington for a birthday one year. And I was just totally uh, like awestruck in the sense yeah. of like, I had had good food, I'd had great meals, but just the level of service and kind of just the experiential element of it. And of course the quality and kind of creativity of the food really just blew my mind. And so I came back and I was like, I obviously have to sell a lot of shows about food because yeah. like, people are missing out. There's so many great opportunities. Top Chef was kind of successful at the time, but not, mm-hmm. that was really, there was that and kind of like the cooking channel, kind of classic chefs like that. And so I started pitching shows around food and my bosses weren't really kind of seeing the vision of the shows that I wanted to pitch. And I kept bringing in people that ended up selling shows to other production companies or other channels. Like we brought in the Cupcake Sisters and, you know, we brought in Rodney who owns Dangerously Delicious. And they were just like, nah, I don't, nah, you know, I don't see the vision here. I yeah. don't see why anyone would watch it. And so I decided that I would go back to writing and I'd focus on food this time. And my wife was very gracious because it was during the Great Recession and I had benefits and a nice paycheck and everything. But it was just not a very, it's very frustrating when you're creative and you feel like no one is seeing the vision of what you want to do because then you start doubting yourself. You start thinking like, God, am I so far off the zeitgeist? Am I so far, do I not know what people like? And so I quit in like 2010 Mm -hmm. and it was like the perfect time to do it because it was you know, a time that the DC restaurant scene was super ascendant mm-hmm. and people were, you know, really starting to get interested in food in a larger, uh, just in a larger way. And so I just had good timing and my wife being the amazing person that she is mm-hmm. basically said, look, you can go pursue this, but if the rent check bounces, like I'm, you're going to get a job doing whatever you have to. Like, you'll be a barista <laughs> for all I care as long as we make the rent check. And uh, right. it, that was a really good inspiration. It really pushed me to focus and work hard. And from there, it's just kind of it just it's just kind of grown. I've been really lucky um, after doing it for like a year and a half, two years. Founding Farmers approached me to do their cookbook. Uh-huh. That kind of added like something like very substantial to my portfolio as a food writer. And then I wrote about Brian Noyes, who owns Red Truck Bakery mm-hmm. for the Washington Post, and we had a great time together. And when it came time for him to think about doing a cookbook, he approached me to do that. And I was just totally honored at the idea and um, had a great job, had a great time working with him. So, you know, it's been kind of like a gradual thing and not mm-hmm. somewhere where I ever thought I would be, like in high school even. You know, I thought I would be a writer, but I didn't think I would write about this industry. And that so is it's so been an interesting funny. journey. You brought out so many questions that I like now want to follow oh, up with. Because like, okay, so, and that's just the first question, folks. So the first one I want to ask is, what was your dad's? What was the cuisine at your dad's restaurant? Sure. Yeah, he owned a place in New York City called Martell's. It was okay. on the corner of 83rd and 3rd on the Upper East Side. Yeah. And it was kind of like refined 
continental cuisine, but they had a really good French chef. And so there were lots of kind of like mm-hmm. classic European dishes on the menu. And he had started it thinking it would be kind of like the bar would be like a prohibition style vibe, kind of almost speakeasy, but not secret or hidden or anything mm-hmm. like that. And uh, he was very successful. He owned it for almost 25 years. Wow. Um, I got to meet the Beatles or two of the Beatles as a kid. What? When they were there, uh, I got to meet Jim Henson and the Muppets was a kid. Again, this is when I was a small child, so I remember nothing. Uh, Brooke Shields big. babysat me a few times. That is. Because she and her mother came in a lot to dine, and so my mom would, you know, go upstairs and take a rest, and, and Brooke would take care of me for like an hour or whatever while my mom napped. And uh, yeah, so I mean, he really had this great mm-hmm. thing going on. And uh, as a kid, I never even thought I wanted to take over the restaurant. Like, that was just a fun place to kind of go run behind yeah. the bar. And, you know, of course, when you're the owner's son, everyone treats you like gold. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was it was really great. And he got out of the game when I was, like, 10. And um, he hasn't looked back. Like, you know, he's he loved his time as a restaurateur. Um, but, you know, that was the last time he owned a restaurant. Wow. Now, would he commute? Well, would you commute? Because you said you, you grew up outside yeah. of Syracuse. So... Yeah. So, well, the geography is a little it's a little convoluted in the sense that like I was born in New York city mm-hmm. and then we moved to a small town in Western New York called green, which was, you know, I don't know, five or six hours away from New York city. Okay. But we lived like way in the boonies, like mile from the nearest neighbor and, um, had a big piece of property that my dad kind of turned into kind of like he had a huge garden. We had pigs and chickens and a couple of ponds and like he fished those and um, so he'd kind of commute. He'd go to New York City for however many weeks, and then he'd come home for a week or two. And then we moved to Pennsylvania, uh, outside of Westchester, and he did kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. And then we finally, when he got out of it, he we moved to New Zealand for two and a half years. And that's when he was like, you know, unencumbered by the business. He could do whatever he wanted. And then we moved back to Central New York. And mm-hmm. so um, yeah, we never really were around the day to day of the restaurant unless we went in to visit. And you know. Like I said, everyone just treats you like such gold when you're the owner. Oh, yeah, kid. definitely. I mean, you know, not that I would, you know, I always got to run behind the bar and I have fond memories of like kind of pulling on the taps and like wasting lots of beer and everyone just being like, oh, it's so funny. And like, I can think now that if, you know, my kid was doing that, I'd be like, how much money did we just waste on that little, <laughs> on the tap pull? Come on. Uh, and, you know, like the cooks were just so gracious to me and you know, they made these, like, they used to carve, like, things out of fruit for me. Like, they mm-hmm. used to carve little baskets out of grapefruit yeah. for me and stuff like that. And, um, you know, of course, being a kid, like, I ate endless French fries at the restaurant. You know, like, they just would ever, they would always just be like, what do you want to eat? Like, we'll just cook whatever you want to eat. Nothing off the menu if you don't want it. And, um, yeah, I have really fond memories. And it kind of really introduced me mm-hmm. to the fact that, like, at their core, restaurant people are just such a nice, hospitable group of people in general and now that I'm like writing about them and I know a lot of them kind of personally and have friendships and and deep professional relationships with a lot of them it is true I mean it's like Mm -hmm. any business like some days you're frustrated some days you don't want to deal with people some days you're not at your best but you know at the core so many people in the hospitality industry are just so warm and welcoming and really want to make you have a great experience and feel like you're in their second home. And I felt that as a kid. And I was always like, just thought to myself, like, God, this is just a great place that you could kind of create this like home away from home with a group of strangers that become your Mm -hmm. colleagues. And I always love that. That's amazing. Like, this is like, I'm sitting here like with a sun face right now. (laughs) I wish people could see my face. face. Exactly. (laughs) Like, what? Like, 
Brooke Shields, the Beatles, like, I'm like, who are you? Like, I, I let me know, find I out know. you were like, you know, some child rock star that I just didn't know about in New York City. Like, I don't know about child rock star, but <laughs> I had a few moments and um, it does seem a little surreal looking back at it. That is, yeah, that is so surreal because I had a very different experience when I was in New York City. But this is great. So now you, I've now learned where your love of cooking comes from because obviously you spend a lot of time in the industry. Now, do you cook here at home? I do. I try to eat out like maybe three, sometimes four nights a week for work. And then the other nights I really love cooking for my family. And like sometimes it's as simple as like, my son eats very simply. Mm-hmm. You know, he is a vegetarian. Okay. His decision, not ours. And really? So, yeah. He didn't like the taste or texture to start, and then he mm-hmm. learned where meat comes from, and he was unhappy to find out that animals were killed in order to produce meat. Oh, wow. And so um, he doesn't eat meat. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, he eats, um, you know, he eats cheese, and he's not huge on eggs yet, but I think he will be. Uh, and he has a great appetite for vegetables and fruit. So, I mean, it's not hard to cook for him, but okay. then again, he also wants really, really simple stuff. You know, like he eats a lot of pasta, eats a lot of rice dishes, you know, he'll eat a lot of like grilled or broiled vegetables. And, um, my wife and I, I try to do something like, you know, there's not as much time in the day as you would ever like. Yeah. And the cookbooks that I have downstairs mostly go looked at only the first time I buy them and then they end up on the shelf and I never look at them again, except for maybe once. Agreed. You know, it's like... Um, but so my wife and I all do like a main and a side mm-hmm. and I do love doing that. And, um, uh, like I'm going to try to make some Greek potatoes, like those Greek lemon potatoes tonight with like this dill rub salmon for my wife and I for dinner. Very nice. So very I, nostalgic of like what I think of when I think of Zaytania, like yes. the, the shrimp with the butter and the dill. Yes. It is amazing. Yes. Um, so that sounds delicious. Now, your wife and your son are keeping you company most of the time in the kitchen. And it sounds like your yes. son probably can cook his own stuff. He's, how old yeah. is he? He's almost five. So he'll be he's... cooking whenever he can. Uh, okay. and he does want to, he always wants to be involved. Like he loves like sprinkling on like this, like he, this sounds like such a food writer kid thing, but like yeah. he loves truffle salt. Like he loves truffle salt on avocado. He loves truffle salt on his pasta. And so he'll get it. And then he'll do like the little sprinkle, like the, Oh, well, I like You know, like, that. just, oh, just a little bit more over here, Papa. <laughs> a little bit more over here. And, um, yeah, I do try to get him into the kitchen as much as possible to help because I believe that if you're connected to the food and you have mm-hmm. a hand in it, then you're more likely to try it and you're more invested in it. And so, especially when we're trying something new, I want him to help out because that'll mean he'll, he'll be trying something that he had a chance to make. And so he'll want to try it. So what is your fave dish to like cook, like when you're here? Oh man, Um, I mean, like I said, you know, like weeknights, especially time is at a premium. So, you know, I'll grill something or, you know, bake Mm -hmm. or broil something like in terms of a protein. But um, I love doing like kind of big hearty dishes Mm -hmm. like pulled pork or, you know, like I love making David Chang's bosom whenever I have the chance, but that's like such a, it's like a day-long process plus a couple of extra days to go out and buy all the other accoutrements. <laughs> but then, like, not only is there a lot of wow factor, but then you're eating the great leftovers for days. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like doing things like that where, you know, there's, like, that pragmatic element. Like, yeah. you put all this time in it, but you're going to be eating it for a while, and it's going to be super appreciated yeah. every time. It's not just going to be, like, the leftovers that are people like, oh, God, great, you know, like chili again you know it's going to be something they really really look forward to so um 
I was using my slow cooker a lot, but unfortunately my slow cooker died last week, so I have to go out and buy a new one because it's uh, that was like the such a part of my existence that so you can just put something on in the morning and then in the evening you're like dinner's ready exactly yeah. that's like a staple in my kitchen that would yeah. be a depression yeah no no it came out of nowhere like i don't know what happened the lights still work but the heating coil just i don't know wow that's so. good to know well i think do we have two i think we keep like a, a backup Smart. we have like two of every appliance Smart. Smart. So i yeah that would bother me i like i like ready-made dinner um yeah. so now i know a lot of things that you do like to do you like to cook like to write mm-hmm. all these things what do you not like to do Oh man, what do I not like to do? Um, you know, I always, you know, in this job especially, and I could do a better job of it, you have to be so good about like exercising uh-huh. and about being healthy. Uh-huh. And I, you know, like I've run over the years, I have an exercise, um, like I have a rowing machine now. Mm-hmm. I try to hike regularly. Yeah. Like, that, like I've found ways to actually enjoy exercise, but like, yeah. You know, I've had to do exercise sometimes for stories. Like I did some CrossFit classes for a story. <laughs> and like, I recognize that like, it was at a level that I was not at and it was a great workout, but oh my God, did I not, not want, I just didn't want to do it again. <laughs> um, so that's something I have to push myself to do. But I, I, like I said, I've found things I enjoy. And I also recognize that in order to balance out like a diet that regularly includes like foie gras and multiple desserts and dinners that last four hours long you can't just you know how it is oh, I mean you can't I you know. can't just you know maybe if I was in my 20s and like had the metabolism of like I don't even know what like yeah a whirling dervish like maybe that would work out but like not when you're in your 40s like it just that just doesn't work science says sorry yeah you know like <laughs> um so that's something I have to push myself to do um god you know I try not to hate things or I just like end up figuring out ways to like get them out of my life. Um, like I hate doing my taxes. Thank God <laughs> for my accountant. I know. Shout out to the accountant. God bless them. Yeah. <laughs> and they're going to have so much to work with next year. Oh, that's going to happen. Very... Who knows? They, they're they probably saying they're biting their teeth wondering. That's so funny. Now, I know you, you've you been a writer in D.C. for forever and a day, and you've written for other publications. What is one of the, like, strangest pitches that you've gotten? Man, I feel like I come up with strange pitches and give them to my editors. <laughs> like, I feel like, you know, no disrespect to publicists, but I, I have to say, like, I very rarely take pitches that uh-huh. people give to me. Um, you know, maybe if I was on a masthead somewhere and, like, I was the first stop for people... But as a freelancer, and you probably know this well, it's like, you know, if you get a pitch as a freelancer, unless you're like, for me, like the dining editor of DC Mar Luxury, so sometimes I'll get pitches for that, but it's kind of just like this amazing new luxury restaurant's yeah. open. Would you think about that as being your review? Or could we think about doing a profile on the chef? And, you know, those are not really that odd. Um, yeah. Gosh, I feel like I get a lot of weird travel destination, you know, like... <laughs> really where? Like... God, I mean, like, in the last, like, month alone, I've been offered trips to, and, like, not to say that they're weird, but you're just like, okay, uh, Taiwan, Mm -hmm. um, let's see here, uh, what were the other ones? Uh, um, yeah, Taiwan, uh, Japan, Mm -hmm. um, somewhere in West Virginia, you're like, I'm not sure I want to go to West Virginia, but okay, (laughs) okay, um, then Vancouver, and uh or pardon me toronto mm-hmm. and then there was somewhere in the caribbean and you're just like 
this is amazing. I like open up my email and I'm being invited to somewhere in the Caribbean. Okay. You know, like, I don't think it's weird, but it is kind of amazing to think that there's like all these opportunities out there. And these are not even ones that I would necessarily choose, but every once in a while, the travel destinations, I'll take them. Yeah. Um, Other times I prefer to kind of think about where I want to go instead and like Mm -hmm. make that happen on my own. Um, But it is kind of that, I do find that weird sometimes. You're just like, sometimes like India will come home. She's like, how are your day? And you're like, I got invited to Iceland. That's so funny. That's, you know, and then like, you're always like, God, I wish they'd like told me like two weeks earlier. I just like book like four things that week that I totally can't break or, you know. That's hilarious. Now, what does India say when you're like, well, yeah, I decided, no, I'm not going to Iceland, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, the thing is, it's all seems very glamorous, but Mm -hmm. then there's like the practicality of, okay, while you're gone, are there things that have to be taken care of for my son's school that only I can do? Yeah. Are there commitments that we have together as a family that I would be missing out on? Um, it's like really like balancing the seemingly amazing glamour of it with just like the cold hard reality of being a husband and a father. And so we have like just like very like kind of practical conversations like, well, how many stories do you think you can sell? Like how much money would that be? Oh, okay, well, that's what we're weighing against, like you missing out on uh, performance at Zephyr School and like dinner with friends and the fact that I'll have to be dropping Zephyr off and picking him up for six days. Yeah. That, because, you know, in a way you almost, I almost have to convince Indy that it's going to be worth her time and my time. So it it really is like a pretty practical conversation. And I don't go to her just to be like, hey, I got this great trip to Napa. (laughs) I want to go. See you later. No, it's like really kind of like, this is what it is. This is what I'll get out of it. This is what we'll get out of it. I know. No, that would be kind of cruel to be like, oh, yeah, I'm in Napa. Cheers. (laughs) What are you you home doing? (laughs) Yeah. And I have been in Napa doing cheers and like FaceTiming like, hey, sorry, I only have a few minutes. Like we're in between like the foie gras tasting and the wine tasting. How is everybody? Oh, man, you guys are having an awful day. Sorry to hear that. Did I mention I just ate foie gras and I'm going to have wine? Love you. Night. Have a great time. You know. Yeah. No, that I totally get it. That's um that's really funny. That sounds like a lot of fun though. Like now what pitches do stand out to you? Like what is cuz yeah. I I think in this industry like you said, I get a lot of pitches and I'm like, um this really yeah. you didn't, you, and I hate the mass ones. Yeah. Like, no, if no. you want me to do something, it needs to be direct about me, include something personal to me. I agree. And then I will respond. Yeah. And that being said, sometimes I feel like people include personal stuff and then give me a pitch that I'm like, I don't know why you thought I would ever want to write that story. Yeah. You know, it's like you obviously did your research about who I am because you mentioned some stories or some things I've said on social media or whatever. And then you present something that is like either totally lame or totally not up my alley, which makes me feel like you were just looking for a reason to pitch this story. You didn't really think it was actually a fit. Um, you know, when it comes to travel stories, obviously my almost all my food travel stories have like a strong food component Mm -hmm. and I'm looking to do something like experiential. I don't want to just like, you know, stay at a nice hotel and Mm -hmm. like get a spa treatment and, you know, sit by the pool, all of which are nice things, but it's like, what am I going to be doing? Am I going to be like spending time with a chef that I can really profile or am I going to be spending time doing a food related experience that I can really write about? Yeah. Um, you know, it has to have like, it has to have like great story and multiple stories. Like I can't just go for one story unless there's like one just amazing out of the ballpark story that I can write. But that's usually not the case as a freelancer. Like I need to write 
multiple stories. And we so we need to do multiple things. And also there needs to be time in the schedule so I can keep writing and, you know, stay in mm-hmm. communicado with like stay in communication with like my family and all my other editors because that's you, just because you're on like a work trip doesn't mean anyone else cares. All your editors are still like, where's my story? Yeah. Like, where's your follow up? Like, is there something that they have a question about? I need to respond quickly. So, um, yeah. And also places I haven't been. Yeah. You know, unless it's unless it's like a place I have been that's just offering me some sort of really unique access or angle to it. going to. And that's the thing. I think you made a good point. Like a lot of people think because with the same thing with me, like writing and the, yeah. the site, they're like, oh, is that so great? You get to go out and eat for free. And it's like, yeah. but you don't understand that, like, it's not all glamorous. Like, I'm really like I'm eating for a different purpose when right. I go out now. Right. It's not, you know, I'm not sitting there and just dining and going to dinner. And like, I think some people don't they don't think about it that it's part job. Like, yes, okay, you're getting wine right. and blah, blah, But you're like, I have to actually tell, you know, I have to decipher what's in the, whatever this dish is and, yep. you know, break it down. And I'm keeping notes. Like, yep. I'm not eating just to eat and forget. Right. So, it, and yeah, like, or it, like you said, forget. and the thing is, if you're on a, you know, if you're on a business trip or, you know, I've been on those press trips and it's like, it's a lot of work. So like, yeah. you don't eat until you've, everyone's taken 10,000 pictures and you know oh, yeah. the, the chef has explained what's in the dish and it becomes a very different experience yeah. I think than like if I just go somewhere on my own yeah. and I'm there just to enjoy so I yeah do. and I have to be honest like even when I'm just somewhere to enjoy like mm-hmm. I'm always keeping notes in my mm-hmm. head like even if it's not a strictly reported story like I took my wife to the inn at Little Washington for a birthday like a month ago, yes. and we did the chef's table in the kitchen, and mm-hmm. we stayed there overnight, and we did the whole thing. And like, I'm now writing two yeah. stories that are directly related to that mm-hmm. trip, like dishes that I had. I'm writing one story on the chef's table. I'm writing mm-hmm. one about a dish that we had, and it's like I can't turn mm-hmm. that part of me off. Like we went to Mexico City last year, or this mm-hmm. part of me this past year, this spring, uh, for Zephyr Spring Break. Yeah, and I was like, I'm not writing not going to write any stories. Like Mm -hmm. we're just there to vacation. I don't want to spend my time like taking Mm -hmm. pictures and hunting down people and trying to meet an itinerary that somebody else set up or that I worked with somebody else to set Mm -hmm. up. And, um, sure enough, we got back. I sold two travel stories from it because you know, you still like, still like I took the pictures Mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. I had a great time. There were things, stories Mm -hmm. I wanted to tell. There you go. Now that's like, I noticed online too, you've been very like politically like outspoken Yes. now. Would you ever go into writing a story, like go back, go maybe to that type of journalism? Because you have a lot to say. I love yeah. it. I love reading. You got to follow you. him. I Shout out your Twitter. What is your Twitter handle? Nevin Martell, N-E-V-I-N-M-A-R-T-E-L-L. Yes. So you're going to get the truth. And so now, would you ever like go, like you said, you would go into. Yeah. I mean, I write from a personal perspective a lot when I do parenting stories. I like, mm-hmm. I write a lot of personal essays as a, you know, as a parenting writer. And so I'm comfortable being open with myself and mm-hmm. I certainly certainly am comfortable being open about myself and my beliefs and mm-hmm. opinions on social media. Um, I've written a couple of stories that are definitely politically, you know, show my political stripes. Mm-hmm. I did a piece for Men's Journal about um, going to the Trump Hotel and mm-hmm. I ate there with Victor and Fez from mm-hmm. Del Campo and kind of talked about why it was a crappy experience and kind of like mm-hmm. definitely let my opinions be known. and. Mm-hmm. Um, I have another story coming out for the Washingtonian about, you know, Trump setting an awful example as a bully mm-hmm. for the children yeah. of America and actually the world really. But kind of just again, it's very obvious where I stand politically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and 
I don't believe as a writer that I need to kind of be show myself to be just not engaged, you know, maybe, yeah. you know, I know if you're on the masthead at, at pub, certain publications, you can't be overtly political, but mm-hmm. I'm a freelancer and, um, you know, I feel like it's my duty just as a human being an American to speak up and say how I feel. Um, I've always been like that more mm-hmm. so since November of last year, <laughs> but, um, certainly I've never shied away from talking about political. Yeah, know, no, I noticed issues. that. I noticed that the numbers up since last year. I was like, oh, yeah. I love it. Cause I'm like, I totally feel you. And that's the wonderful yeah. thing about being a freelancer or like being yeah. on your own. You can yep. say what you want and yep. you're like, you know, take it or leave it. Yeah. Now I look at your life and I'm like, I think it's like a rock star movie, but what would you say is like a movie that you've seen? It's like the closest to the biography of your life. Oh, wow. Well, gosh. Uh, I mean, Aside from Star Wars: A New Hope, I mean, <laughs> well, I would love you know, to. I would no. love to hear the uh, analogy gosh. in that. You know, definitely not almost famous. Definitely not chef. Mm-hmm. Not definitely not. All the movies about writing never seem to get it right because the mm-hmm. parts about writing that really matter, which are the time, the stories that you produce, for the most part, are like really dull. You're sitting in a basement office. You're mm-hmm. sitting in a coffee shop. You're writing. Um, you know, the experiential parts are cool. Like you're, when you're interviewing people or you're out in the field or you're, um, you know, doing some of the research, um, got a story of mm-hmm. my life as a movie. You know, I don't think they've, I don't think they made it yet. I think that <laughs> they're still waiting for that one amazingly grand moment so that all the other smaller still grand moments make sense in a larger storyline. I don't think it's ready yet. So who's playing you? Who, you the movie hasn't been made yet. Who's going to play you in the movie? Oh, man. I mean, I get, you know, kind of mistaken for Denzel Washington so often (laughs) that, um, you know, probably Denzel. I mean, like if they can't afford him, I don't know who the cut rate Denzel is. I love it. I mean, you know, um, gosh, you know, maybe like Vince Vaughn during during a puffy stage in between, like maybe like old school Vince Vaughn. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That would that would be that would be my dream. That'd be, that'd or be young Nevin. Yeah. Okay, yeah. got you. I like that. Now, you eat at all these like fantastic restaurants in D.C., but like I have to ask, what's your favorite chain restaurant? And I know you have one. <laughs> Shake Shack. Oh, really? I love their burgers. I love their fries. I love the cheesy sauce. It is. Yeah. I cannot get enough. Like Shake Shack for a few years, we didn't do it this year, but in many years past, like on my birthday, that's mm-hmm. where me and my wife and my son would go for my birthday dinner. Oh my God. I love it. We just actually went there on Friday because there's one in our neighborhood now. And nice. it, um, it is so dangerous because it it's is. one of those places I could eat like, oh no, I every I, day. Like I love the, yeah. um, the mushroom burger. I had that for the first time. Mm. Um, and then we had the chicken sandwich. Chicken sandwich is not bad. Yeah. And, and I would actually have to say my second shout out would be to Cava. Because I okay. eat a lot of kava, yeah. and uh, I really respect that they built what they have here in D.C. So yeah, no, kava's dope too. So outside of your, you have your son, you have your wife at this dinner party, you're preparing. Yes. Name four other people that are at your ultimate dinner party. Ultimate dinner party. Wow. All right. Living or dead. Dead or alive. All right. Um, Bill Watterson, the cartoonist who created. Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, man, I want to say Barack and Michelle, but that would, 
kill two spots, so maybe I leave them both <laughs> off. I'm going to leave them both off. Okay. Um, let's see here. Johnny Cash, oh, just wow. because I feel like he'd have great stories and um, would give just such amazing kind of, that man like went through so many things in his life that I mm-hmm. feel like he'd have such a great yeah stories to share. Um, let's see. Uh, I would love John Steinbeck, the author. I mm-hmm. loved his books since high school and uh, always appreciated the way he kind of shaped people and stories. And who else? My grandmother. Oh, nice. So who's no longer with us, but uh, I would like to talk to her as an adult because she passed away when I was a young, like, you know, in my early, no, I guess I was like 30, but mm-hmm. I would, you know, I would like her to see where I am now. That's amazing. Yeah, that's a good point. It's like people that I know that have gone on before me, like that I would like to talk to now, like you said, as an adult, and yeah. have a real conversation. Because it's a difference when you're a kid. And my grandmother passed away when I was 15. So oh, sorry. on my mom's side, my other one before I was even born. So I definitely, um, I look at that, but Johnny Cash, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't heard that one before. Now you've been in the industry, you've been in multiple industries for a while. What's one piece of advice that you would give to someone that you used to work for? That I used to work for? Yeah. Man, that's a good one. Um, Ooh, you know, the advice that I generally give that I'd learned a little bit later in life, which mm-hmm. is, you know, it takes, you know, so much time and energy to build a bridge. Don't burn it. Mm-hmm. You know, I burned a couple of bridges in my twenties that I regret. And I think that, um, I would say to my bosses, some of my old bosses too, like, who burn bridges with me Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's not worth it. You know, there are so many people now that like, I just have in a whole, you know, not so many people, but now like if Mm -hmm. I don't want somebody in my life or to interact with them professionally, you know, there's so much, there's so many better ways to quote, quote, break up and just like be kind of in a non defensive holding pattern with them where you're just like, I won't have to work with you. You won't work with me. Exactly. But there's none of the histrionics and kind of like drama that go with burning a bridge. And like, Mm -hmm. you can always figure out a way to like reopen the communication or start working with that person again. That's true. If you do it gracefully. Because it's always awkward when you have that bad blood. You step in the room and you're like, oh. I don't like that. I hate that. I don't like that. Yeah. And I don't really have that with anyone in DC. Like I really, I'm lucky in the sense I have great relationships with my current and former editors and, uh, and you know, the people I've worked with. So That's funny. So this is a safe space. DC is your Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even New York would be like, I'm so far out of the industries that I burn bridges in and I was able to ultimately kind mm-hmm. of recover them, but it took a lot of time and work that was, you know, I could have easily prevented. I love that. So good advice folks. No burning bridges. So this is the point in the podcast where you kind of tell us what's going on with you, what's next, what's yeah. coming up. You got the cookbook going. And shout out all your ads, hashtags, whatever. Sure. <laughs> well, like I said, I'm, I just handed in the cookbook for Red Truck Bakery. It'll be out next year uh, through Clarkson and Potter uh, around Labor Day of 2018. And I'm casting about for another big project, another cookbook, um, another self-propelled nonfiction book. I've always dreamed of writing a novel. So that's kind of something I've 
slowly worked on and uh, I have a good framework for, but I just haven't finished or really focused on, I should say. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, just a lot of writing, you know, for Washingtonian and DC Martin Luxury, and I need to get back into pitching the post more regularly. Mm-hmm. But uh, now, like when you finish, at least for me, when I finish a big project, like the first like four to six weeks, mm-hmm. I'm just like so spent yeah, and so kind of burned out that it takes a little while to kind of let that sink in and also like kind of get the energy up to want to be engaged on that level again, because it does take a lot out of you. And so I would like to do another big project to complement mm-hmm. all my freelance work, but mm-hmm. I'm open to a couple of different ideas and I'm, you know, hopefully by early next year, I'll have something seriously cooking. And, uh, as far as the handles go, I mean, you can always find me at Nevin Martell, N-E-V-I-N-M-A-R-T-E-L-L, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I'm Everything. there. Snapchat? I don't Snapchat. <laughs> I don't Pinterest. No. I, I have to, I, you know, like, it, to be honest, it can be so time consuming mm-hmm. and like such a distraction. Like, you can always tell when I'm on deadline because I will tweet so much more often. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Like, there, there is definitely a relationship. More pressure equals more tweets. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Good to know, because some yeah. days you're a little silent, and then yeah, yeah. other times, like you said, you're a little more vocal. So, okay, well, good. How I end every podcast is, you know, on my site, I used to do this thing called Etiquette Tuesday, and it was basically my, like, weekly rant about just random etiquette tips. Ooh. And not the traditional, like, not the, you know, where to put your fork and yep. spoon and all that stuff. It was about just anything that was bothering me. Mm-hmm. What, what tip do you leave everyone with? <laughs> I really hate when people are rude to servers. Like, you are a mm-hmm. bad person at your core if you cannot be polite to a server. And That's I'm true. always so mortified if mm-hmm. anybody at the table is rude to a waiter or waitress or a host or hostess. Because, you know, I've been on that side of the equation and I know what those people go through having covered them. Like, what a day or a shift, mm-hmm. a double shift is like Mm -hmm. and um you know always be polite to your server like it just i have gone and apologized to people at my table to servers after a meal if someone's been rude to them and you know i just that drives me up the wall like it's it just like it just get i cringe i will i will almost always say something Mm -hmm. you know and um in the moment or after the moment and uh and if not i will go and apologize to the server afterwards because it just um I don't like seeing people treated like that. That really sucks. Now, is that usually, do you usually encounter that when you're going out with like just friends or you no, like, or is no. it like more like, like it's, when you're out on a media dinner or something, people you don't know. Okay. Yeah. That's what it's, I'm like. It's, you know, thank God. No, I'm not friends with people who are okay. full of service. <laughs> no, but no, every once in a while, like on a media trip, like, especially when you're like traveling with a bunch of writers you've mm-hmm. never met before, mm-hmm. there's just like one bad egg in the bunch and yeah. you know, they feel entitled. They feel like they own the place. They're just incredibly rude and, um, you know, talk down to the server. Uh, yeah. And occasionally on a DC media dinner, it's happened, but for the mm-hmm. most part, it's like when I'm, it's when I don't know anybody. When you, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally, I totally feel that. And you said you had experience with that. What did you work at a restaurant before? So not? I worked as a, I was not a server. I worked as a short order cook and the counter guy at a deli for a whole summer. And like, I gotta tell you, I, you get in at five in the morning to start your shift and like people start coming in for egg sandwiches and I really appreciated the people that were just mm-hmm. polite. Mm-hmm. And like when you had a bad customer, like it was always just like, you know, you were just sitting there like, 
do you not see me as a human being? Like, can we not just no. have a normal conversation? Like, I don't know what you walked in the door with, but it was not anything to do with me. And to then unload or to treat me that way is, you know, you feel you feel very small and you feel very, um, you just kind of, yeah, it's just, it's not a good feeling. And I don't want anyone ever to feel that way at work. So. Yeah, no, that's great advice. I'm like, I definitely take that one to the bank. So there you have it, folks. The man, the myth, the legend just gave us all his, thanks, John, all his goodies, all his, basically out of his diary. Thank you so much for sharing. And no, this has been great. Thank you for being on Champagne Lobster. All right, guys, until next time.